Exodus chapter 5 is where we find ourselves. And as I had mentioned, if you really add up everything you know about God, the time you get to the book of Genesis, it really isn't a lot. And, and it's, it's rather funny when you really think about it. You know, you've got God wrestling with Jacob. <laughs> he appears as a king of Salem and the priest most high to Abraham and gives him bread and wine. And then uh, he's now in a burning bush. Moses, after 40 years of dying to the dream, you know, at 40, he thought everybody understood. He understood it. He thought all the Hebrews understood it. His mom, his dad, his brother Aaron, his sister Miriam, everybody understood that God had put him in a unique place with unique knowledge, with unique skills that would, would deliver the children of Israel. And it blew up in his face at 40. And he left and did what Egyptians said was an abomination, and that was be a shepherd. And he was out there for 40 years, the dream decade by decade dying within him and him looking to dying, not to starting a new career. And uh, we saw that story last week when he giving the excuses of why he couldn't be the one that God would use. And then finally, the fifth thing he said was just, it's a great plan and use whoever you want, God. <laughs> but the idea was not me. And God got angry and said, okay, your brother Aaron, go, I'll put it in his heart. I'll talk to him. He'll come out and meet you. And uh, it's going to sort of not be as clear because now in this paradigm, instead of me being God and you being Moses and you speaking to Pharaoh, it's going to sort of all adjust. And so now Moses in this paradigm, you're going to be sort of God after I speak to you, it's going to be like your God and, and Aaron's Moses and Aaron's doing your job speaking. It's, it's not going to be as clear. But yet, as we have learned, as we've learned the nature of God, God will not take us farther than we are willing to go. We are free-willed agents. And with that, we have the power to say no even to God, and he will respect that. And so Moses doesn't get God's best, as we see in Romans, you know, the good uh, will of God, the acceptable will of God, but the perfect will of God. That's what we want. And uh, be right in the middle, as Chuck used to say, under the spout where the blessings flow out. Well, we ended chapter four, the children of Israel encouraged because now Moses and Aaron come back and, and Moses talks to Aaron, and Aaron talks to the people, and, and then Aaron is given the rod, and he throws it down, it becomes a snake, and picks it up, it becomes a rod again, and hand inside, the leprosy, it healed, and then the water turning to blood, and the children of Israel were like, this is amazing, God heard our cry, he, he hears, our, he sees our hardship, and, and he has sent this Moses guy to come and help us, and, and all these miracles, man, we, we, we're going to ace this. This is great. Well, now we get out of the theory stage into the reality stage. They're going to talk to Pharaoh. Now, if I could get in a time machine, and I would love that, I would want to beam in on this exact day and be in the background as Moses and Aaron are walking down the streets of Egypt, heading towards the 
I don't know, castle, towards the, the courtroom, uh, the royalty space. I don't know what, where it was. We don't. I, I think Moses was having a deja vu because this is the place he grew up. He knows this place like the back of his hand, especially the part of the community where the royalty lived. He used to live there for 40 years of his life. So I'm sure after 40 years, you know, oh, I remember that building being bigger, you know, those kind of things you go through. But he's heading into some very familiar ground, but yet no doubt things have changed. And remember, back in chapter 2, verse 23, the king that he knew had died. So I wonder how much it turned over. You know, when you get new Pharaoh come in, a lot of people die. <laughs> a lot of people you knew are no longer in power and it switches itself around. And, and so um, either way, I think that would have been an interesting time for Moses heading into that familiar but still yet awe-inspiring space. Aaron heading into territory that slaves not, dare not to go. And he is going as a nobody slave to go talk to Pharaoh face to face. And, and you've got to understand that, that Pharaohs believed themselves from childhood, that they were gods themselves. This particular one believed he was God Ra of the sun. He, he was the, the highest of the gods. They had many, many gods, but that he was the highest one. And so they're going in essence and Pharaoh's mind, you're coming to talk to God. And, 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 you know, I think Aaron would have felt very uncomfortable heading into this forbidden zone, this royal palace and this very awe-inspiring sight. And Moses, again, they're heading into there and Moses is going to look at this Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. You know, it's interesting that people often will say, I don't know much in the Bible, but they know this story. It's interesting. Around the world. I mean, all over the world, no matter what their religion or what their language, this story about God taking the people out of Egypt is a well-known story. To them, it's like talking about Zeus and Hermes. It's all a fabrication. It didn't really happen. It's just a, a myth. But they know the story, and you'd be amazed how much detail they know in that story. And so this really is a, a special moment in time of history that really does mark deep. You know, people have an idea of a worldwide flood. They know that story. Creation, they have an idea on that story. But it's interesting that this story here stands out amongst all people in the world, even today. And so let's look at it here. In chapter 5, verse 1, after Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Aaron speaking, of course, thus says the Lord, and notice the capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, guys. He uses the holy name of God, Yah, Yahweh. I don't know how he enunciated it, but... Thus says the Lord Yahweh, God of Israel, 
Let my, notice the capital M, he's not Aaron saying, let me and the other slaves go. He is speaking as if he were God himself. God is saying to you, let my people go. These are God's people. And God is telling you, you need to let them go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, earlier, remember, Moses say, tell Pharaoh the first time around that you need three days. And then eventually God was going to extend that. But that was the first meeting. But it doesn't appear they even said three days at this point. It just said, hey, let my people go uh, to have a feast in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said exactly what you would think Pharaoh would say. Who is the, what would you say, Yahweh? Yahweh, let who is Yahweh? Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know this Yahweh, this Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So I think if, if you had a vote and said, okay, we're going to go talk to Pharaoh, me and Aaron here. What, what do you think is going to happen? Let, let's take a poll. I think 10 out of 10 would have said he's going to look at you as a peon and say, basically say, who in the world are you to be even talking to me to begin with? And who are, I'm God. Nobody orders me around. I don't know what God you had. I know there's many gods and I'm one of them, but I'm the top one. There's nobody above me. So you're giving me orders of a God I've never heard of. And I'm supposed to submit to that God when all gods are submitted to me, Ra, the sun God. That was the, the point. That's exactly what I would have thought. You would have thought. We all would have thought he would have responded. And indeed he did. So they said, well, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let's think about that from Pharaoh's point of view. Okay. Our gods have made us rich and powerful and intelligent. We have universities. We, we have a, a commerce. And your God, Yahweh, did you say? He's the God of the slaves. He's not doing a very good job. You might want to trade that God in because he's doing a lousy job. Your God has had you as a slave for 400 years I wouldn't even talk to the guy if I were you. But I'm definitely not going to take the slave God and do what he says. If anything, the slave God should be doing what I say because I'm the prosperous one. I'm the powerful one here. And this time he changes going, well, please let us go. <laughs> and now he adds in the three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. So if you don't let us go, now he's like, please, I think maybe he's talking a little salt, a little softer, and his voice is getting a little, you know, his mouth is dry. And well, uh, uh, good point. Please let us go uh, three days. Now, I think it would be good. Here's why it's a win-win, Pharaoh. Because our God is going to kill us, and you won't have slaves either way. Because he's going to either kill us all with pestilence or kill us all with a sword. So all your slaves are going to be dead in a few days if you don't let us go. Because our God is demanding 
that we worship him. And if we don't, we're in trouble and you're in trouble because you won't have any slaves. So once again, we see this Pharaoh who is basically saying, who is the Lord? That's where we're at today. I think Christianity in Western cultures, Germany, England, through Europe, now in America, I don't really think we often do a very good job representing him. I think we, we have an American version of Jesus. And just like the Pharisees, you know, they had their version of the Bible, and Jesus said, you guys are of the devil. You're not representing the God. You've, you basically ignored Scripture so you can keep the God the way you want him to look. And I am that God, and you hate him. I am that God, and you're going to crucify him. And I think in America, we, we've got this idea of, you know, God, the, the number one peak in our Amway company, you know, He's, he's up there and he, you know, he's the successful one and he's made all of us successful and, and, and he is really smooth talking and, and we're smooth and, you know, he, you know, he's got the church to look just like Hollywood, you know, we've got the stage and the lights and the smoke and the, the glitter and the, you know, we're, we're, we're better than anything produced in, in Las Vegas because that's our God. He is a God of great music. <laughs> He's a God of incredible technology. He's got, and, and then the message is often presented so we are attractive to the world as they are. And saying, if you come to church, you, you may be convicted, but it won't be very much. Well, I'll make sure of that. And if the pastor does, we'll fire him and get another pastor that will never do that again. But we, we, we want you to like us. That's what we're doing. We're going to build the church so you would like us. And then it'll be something worthwhile enough that you'll come, you know, more often than not. And in the midst of it, it's like, it's, it's really not clear anymore who is God. And, and you often hear people say, oh, I like the God of the New Testament. It's the God of the Old Testament that I can't stand. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know. So it is interesting. And Pharaoh, looking on at this moment, is saying, well, all you've told me is that I need to submit to him. I don't know him. And I don't recognize him. And I don't recognize you. And I don't recognize you having any power over me. And I'm actually irritated and insulted and upset that you think with you and your God, you have authority over me. That actually is very upsetting to me. I think that's the way it is today. I think it's the way it's going to be in the last generation, which I think we're in. In Romans 1, verse 22 and 23, they profess to be wise, but they're fools. They change the glory of an incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man. Just like, think of this, Pharaoh, it sounds just like him. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. We call that today evolution. No, it didn't happen. In the beginning was a what? There was space, there was matter, there was energy. But no who made it. It just automatically was there, which 
logically can't exist, but that's another story. And then also in Romans 1.25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In a nutshell, that's Egypt. They had a million gods from bugs to water to alligators to birds to every creeping thing they worshipped. And this god, this, this Pharaoh, felt himself to be the great power of all these other lesser gods. He was the superior god. And today we have that same mindset where people, they want to see God, but where it's not what they're getting. It's not what they're expecting to see. And they're, they, they don't understand who he is. But now Pharaoh's going to learn who God is. And in essence, we're going to learn who God is. And in essence, Moses and Aaron are going to le- learn who God is. And in essence, all the children of Israel. So really, in, in honesty, if you put a test in front of Moses and Aaron and ask them questions about God and put the same test in front of the children of Israel, and the same test in front of Pharaoh, they probably all equal, the Egyptians, the Hebrews, all equally know nothing about God. And so in essence, that's what we're doing here. We got a little bit of a glimpse in Genesis, very little, and now we're going to get more pieces of the puzzle and get these other little glimpses. And then eventually, hopefully, we see the nature of God. And we understand the nature of God, not as we want him to be, not as many have claimed him to be, but really who he is. That's it. Isn't that really all God wants? Not the mighty man glory in his might, not the rich man glory in his riches, not the, the, the wise man glory in his wisdom. But what's Jeremiah 9 say? Let him who glories glory in this, that they understand and know me. In this I delight, says the Lord. And then when we know him, we walk with him now. What's God required of you, man, to do justly? God wants that. We're going to see here. God demands justice, justly, righteously, the right living with the right teaching. Then love mercy and walk humbly with our God. And so we're going to see this pull off. Pharaoh is going to learn, and he's going to learn that God is God, and he is not a God. (laughs) He's going to learn that he has no power compared to God's power, and that all his beliefs about God are wrong. And at the end, God's going to show through his unique way that God is true in every man. Let him be a liar. And just a note on children. I mean, all children get to that place and they ask that question, why? I'm 14. I should be able to choose whether I believe in God or not. Whether I get up and go to church on Sunday morning or not. And um, hopefully you're able to answer them. I'll answer why. (laughs) Because he's God. I've taught you about God. While you're in this home and eating my food and getting comforted by my roof, you are going to honor him. But there is a day that you need to know for yourself, yes, that God, who he is and that he is true. And I think a lot of people are raised up in a church and they, they see Christianity at church and then they don't see it at home. That's why when I grew up, when I grew up, 
There was peace at church, and there's some really godly Sunday school teachers I had. When I went home, not any of the way my parents were at church was the way at home. It was just night and day. And had I not seen friends of mine, I'd go over after church with them, and their parents, their lives were the same. They were real Christians at home as they were at church. If it wasn't for those little bit of peaks, I probably would have gotten embittered at their hypocrisy. But the bottom line is my parents didn't know God. They heard sermons. They weren't discipled. They didn't know God. But I really did come to know God for myself, and I think that everybody has to do that. And so in essence, um, you say, well, Pharaoh was, was damned from the beginning. No, no, Nebuchadnezzar. He got humbled, and, and he came to know God. Read the end of Daniel chapter 4. And there's many other kings that repented. I mean, wicked, wicked men repented and, and uh, believed the truth about God and were saved. And if your children's hearts are hard, just they're going to go through a rough road because truth, <laughs> having truth is an annoying thing when you're trying to live in the world. Um, it doesn't let you enjoy the world. And so they're sort of mad. Had I not been raised in the church, I could enjoy the world right now. But I can't enjoy the world because I have too much truth in my heart and in my soul that you put in there my years of my childhood. I wish I had no knowledge of Christianity so I could really enjoy the world. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's short-lived. There is for a season an enjoyment of sin, but it doesn't last long. And I, God's going to make it clear, too, in Deuteronomy 6, as well as Luke chapter 4, that um, they are to fear the Lord their God, serve him only. And um, they're not to go after other gods that the people around them in the promised land were worshiping. And uh, they, they need to understand that if they start dabbling with these other gods, God's going to be jealous, angry. He's going to be aroused against them and destroy them <laughs> because he alone is God. There is no other God. Anybody else claiming to be God, that is a, an affront to God. You know, if, if you ever see a church where some little four-year-old kid in the crowd thinks he's holding his dad's hand and he's holding a stranger's hand. You ever see that? That's happened to all, all kids, I think. And, you know, this four-year-old kid, you know, he's looking at dad, but, you know, and then he looks up at the stranger and he goes, well, that's fine. I don't care. Any, any big white guy is good as any other big white guy. What would the dad think about that? He would tell his son, hey, you may not care which dad you have, but I care because you're my son. And the fact that you would be just as happy with any other big old white guy, makes me upset. I want you to only want me. Well, that's God. In Luke chapter 4, verse 8, Jesus had that discussion with Satan, didn't he? Where he, he says, yeah, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you the kingdoms. And the Lord Jesus came back and said, get behind me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord Yahweh, your God, and him only shall you serve. So Pharaoh is going to learn the hard way that he is on the wrong side of believing who God is. And again, it just goes back to the ignorance that is in him. Going back to Romans 1, verse 18 to 21, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What is it that upsets him? That they're 
taking the truth about who God is and distorting it. And they're distorting it in unrighteousness. I think the whole transgender thing, as much or more than anything, is just that. Satan just going, anything I can corrupt. And, you know, it says that God made them male and female. And the first time in creation, he says it was very good. He didn't just say it was good. When he made man in his image, and he made them male and female, it was very good. And Satan is saying, anything I can twist, you know, to, to make it not that beautiful picture of God and his nature, to distort the nature of God and unrighteousness. That's what's happening. And it goes on in Romans to say in verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that what? They have no, they are without excuse. There's no excuse. Someone's not going to stand before God and say, I just never knew about you. By creation itself, there's enough information there. And the way you're made in God's image and with a longing to be right with God and to have that sense of the Holy Spirit's in the world convicting men of sin and of righteousness and looking at the, the sign of, and the uniqueness of all creation, no man is going to have an excuse before God, including Pharaoh or any of the children of Israel. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. How do you worship a gnat? How do you worship a snake? How do you worship an alligator? How do you worship these crazy things? It, it, there's just nobody, no little kid in his heart. It, no, nobody in truth is going to think that this is, this is true. There's they're, this cringe inside going, this is not my God. I am not going to pray to the God of the frogs. And yet they, they twisted that. And that's what we see in the last generation. So the Bible is very also clear where things are heading, right? In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, people alive, people that are waiting for the day when Hades is going to be thrown into hell, which is the last death, and those in heaven. So demons and angels and men living and men already dead, everybody, every knee that's ever exist of ever existed person, their knee is going to bow and they will confess the truth. Before the earth is destroyed and there's melts like wax and there's a new heavens and a new earth, every creature angel, man is going to say that. Their knee's going to bow, and they were going to say, every tongue should confess, Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Chapter 4, verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, 
to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And then just refreshing all things, confessing you have created all things. It was in your image. It was for your pleasure. You made them male and female in your image with a soul and a spirit and a, and a heart that craved after you. You put your Holy Spirit in the world to convict every man of their sin, of righteousness, of judgment, to draw them to yourself. And you did that to every man, to the lowliest of person, to the wickedest of kings. And all of creation itself was just giant beacons screaming every day. God, his nature, his beauty, his power, his loveliness. All of these things. And, and there we're going to be in agreement in heaven. And it's just going to be healing to be with all these people. Jesus, you are Lord, your creator. To you be honor and glory and power and wisdom. And then in final in Revelation 5, verse 12 through 14, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth set you in the sea and all that's in them I heard them saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne to the lamb forever and ever then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever ah I can't wait for that day But now we stand like Moses and Aaron (laughs) before very wicked authorities. We are standing in a generation, whether it's in front of a school board or whether it's in front of a group of neighbors, wherever we go in the world, we're standing in front of people who, who insist that they believe the lie and that you also don't upset things with anything other than the lie. But yet our very nature is light and salt. And we have to say, no, I won't cover up the truth in your unrighteousness. And, and to take that stand. Well, moving on in Exodus 5:4, there, then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now. So they are back up in number and and concerned about that number again. And they're disgruntled. They all want to go. And if we say no and they strike on us, we're in trouble. And you make them rest from their labor. There's a lot of people, a lot of work going on, and you're hindering things. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters, which are most likely the Egyptians, and the people of their officers, who were probably Hebrews, managers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle, therefore they cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to God. So Pharaoh is saying, it's a waste. 
Their energy should be spent on their earthly work, not on heavenly worship. It's, it's interesting how when Mary was in Mark 14 was washing Jesus' feet with the alabaster flask, a year's salary, very expensive. She was washing his feet and using her hair. And, and it says in, in Mark 14 that and some of the disciples were indignant saying how wrong of her to be wasting that on Jesus' feet. That, that should be sold and help feed the poor. <laughs> well, in John 12, it says it wasn't some of the apostles. It was Judas. Judas, the one holding the money back. He's the only one that was saying it. And then in John 17, John actually names Judas the son of perdition. It's a waste. See, that's the natural mind. The natural mind can't understand the things of the Spirit. Getting up and going to church on Sunday mornings, that's a waste. When we could go to the beach, when we could go get on our boat and go sailing, when you could just sleep in and enjoy the day, it's a waste to give God the first day of the week. You give of your tithes and your offerings, that's a waste. Give that money to the Red Cross. Do something good. Don't, they'll just build a candlestick or something at church. That's a waste. That's the way Satan was. I mean, that's the way Judas was. Here she is. She breaks the alabaster flask and, and Jesus rebukes them all. And he says, she's the only one that's spiritually aware enough to realize that this is the last opportunity to anoint my body for my burial. You're not going to have a chance. When you come to put the oils on later, I'm going to already be raised from the dead. And I'm telling you that this story will last for eternity. Wherever you go in the world and hear about Jesus, you're going to hear about this woman wasting a year's salary just upon my feet. So, yeah, Pharaoh is, whoever this God is, to give him three days to go and have a feast for him, it's a waste. You need to be practical. You need to be earthly-minded, and, and they need to be doing what they're supposed to be doing, getting their job done, and it's mad. I am angry that you want to waste all of this on worship to this God. Well, in verse 9, let more work be, done, be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters and the people and the officers went out and spoke to the people and saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it. And yet note, your work will not be reduced. You, you, you have the same quota. So the people were scattered abroad throughout the land of Egypt and gathered stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as you uh, were with the straw and the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh taskmaster had set over them, were, notice in verse 14, beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making bricks both yesterday and today as before? So they were physically and verbally beaten up. Remember why Pharaoh, I mean, remember why Moses came down? Remember the burning bush story? The people are in hardship. I hear their groans. I want you to go down and deliver them. And Moses comes down to deliver them and makes their life worse. 
Not, not less. They were groaning more after Moses came, right? They were, things got harder, not easier. And this is exactly what is pointed out in this chapter. In chapter 5, verse 15, Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. And he said, you are idle. You are idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. And therefore, go now and work, for no star shall be given to you. And you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your Daily quoted the children of Israel. They don't go to God. They don't really know him. They don't go to Moses and Aaron saying, what? They go to Pharaoh for relief. Pharaoh, give us relief. But the demons were tormenting Pharaoh, weren't they? Whether Pharaoh knew it or not, he was the devil and being used by the devil to be the devil to these guys. He, his heart was full of evil towards them. You're idle, and I'm not going to give you any relief. And then in verse 20, as they came out from Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron were getting ready to go see Pharaoh. (laughs) And they met, they passed by Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. So coming out, Moses and Aaron heading in, and they look at each other, and they're all very upset. And then these guys who just got berated by Pharaoh In verse 21, these Hebrew men said to Aaron and Moses, let the Lord look on on you and judge you because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants and put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses, thanks, but no thanks. (laughs) You've made our life miserable. If I were there with Moses, I would say, welcome to Leadership 101. (laughs) through the years I've seen people go man can I be a leader can I teach good enough can I sing good enough can I you know and we all uh, experienced leaders laugh going can you just handle getting beat up by the devil and often through the people you're trying to help often Satan in his spiritual warfare will make it seem as if You're the problem of their life. They were doing better before I ever became a Christian. I was at peace before I became a Christian. My life was wonderful before I... It's funny how they go through that stage where Satan's trying to steal the seed before it can get truly implanted in their heart. Well, Moses, this is the first of many times getting blamed. And of course, Moses is hearing them scream at him. And what's Moses thinking? I didn't want to come to begin with. I want to stay back in Saudi Arabia. I just wanted to take care of the sheep until I died. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to say anything. God made me say it. And I didn't say it anyway. It was Aaron. And, you know, believe me, he, he's ducking and covering, but there's nowhere to hide. And, 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 of course, this is spiritual warfare, isn't it? It's just plain out spiritual warfare. And in spiritual warfare, what do we know? You don't fight with flesh and blood. They're not fighting with Pharaoh. They're not fighting with Moses and Aaron. Who are they fighting with? The principalities and powers, the demonic forces that rule in the spiritual realm. But it's interesting when you go through the Bible and look at leaders like Paul, 
how much they got beat up. In Philippians 1, uh, it said there that many of the guys that were pastoring while Paul was in prison, that they were preaching, hoping to add affliction to his chains. In Philippians 1.16, 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, they said about Paul, your bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. That's what they had to say in Corinthians, the church he started. Yeah, this is, it's just normal stuff. Well, finishing up here in verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So Moses does right. He doesn't go to the people. He doesn't talk to his brother Aaron. He goes back to God and he's just like, I am frustrated. I am angry. I am disappointed. Uh, this has made their life worse, not better. Can't you see how this looks? They don't know anything about you. All they know is that you're screwing their life up. That's all they know. And, and Pharaoh, who we told your God and not him, he's proven that he's the real power here in this scenario. But of course, Moses did right by complaining to the Lord, but he did wrong by forgetting what God had told him. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, but I am sure, God says to Moses, the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So Moses, if he remembered what God said, he would just tell them going, yes. Remember the other day when Aaron was giving you the word of God? Part of that word of God, I forgot to tell him to tell you, was that he's going to say no. <laughs> We're going to command him to let you go, and he's going to say no. And it's actually going to keep saying no for quite a while. And things are going to get a lot worse before we actually get out of bondage. Because there's got to be this demonic battle going on between God and, and the demons to let his people go and to reveal the very uh, nature of God. So God's previous word, all Moses had to do is remember it, hide it in his heart and speak it to the children of Israel. Hey, don't freak out. This is exactly what God said would happen, that Pharaoh wouldn't acknowledge him as God, and he would fight. Be at peace. This is all part of God's plan. It's just a reminder to all of us, isn't it? Psalms 119, 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart <laughs> that I might not sin against you. It's that, that simple. So, yeah, Satan, spiritual warfare makes things complicated. The devil makes things complicated. The evil world gets very complicated. But yet God makes it very simplified by just staying with his word. And I know often people can say, well, it's not enough. You know, when people say, hey, can you help me with marriage? I just go to Ephesians 5. And I've had people say, Don't, I hope... In this marriage counseling, you're not going to open the Bible and read scripture to me. I hope that you're going to do something other than that. I've had people tell me that. And I'm like, well, I, I, they should have told you up front. No, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It, it, God's word is given to us for life and godliness. And you need life help in your marriage. 
But that's the word of God's for that as well. Well, any thoughts before we head into a time of prayer? You guys are just blown away with the, the majesty of the message. Ah, Lord, we thank you for tonight, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word as we look at a little tiny piece of the puzzle. We begin to realize who man is, what sin is, what bondage is, who God is, who Satan is, who spiritual warfare is, evil and good and truth and lies. And that Satan wants to make man humiliated worshiping snakes and worms and bugs and frogs. And Satan just wants to make man look evil and ridiculous and absurd and instead of majestic and wonderful and beautiful, made in your image. So Lord, we come back God, and just very simply say, Lord, help us be those simple Christians hiding your word in our heart that we go out, that we're Moses, that we're speaking the word, bringing people out of bondage, that we're shining as a light and a salt, seeing people delivered out of bondage. Guide us, Lord. Direct us, Lord. Lead us, Lord. 